Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as we continue our look at biblical eschatology, the study of the last days, in a series in, that we've entitled, The End is Only the Beginning. We began this study due to the fact that, of course, because of the coronavirus and certain events that have happened here in the United States of America since then, many have asked, you know, what role, or if any role, does all of these things play in the events of the last days? So we decided to take a moment of pause from our study of the Gospel of Luke to address those questions. And we've used 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-14 through 14 as a roadmap helping us understand the outline of biblical eschatology, how the Bible outlines the events that will precede the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The return of Jesus Christ is a held-hold doctrine from the very beginning. The apostles believed that Jesus Christ was going to physically return in their day. In fact, there is even this rumor that was started concerning... God bless you. There was even this rumor started that John the Apostle would not die until Jesus returned. Well, that obviously wasn't a true rumor, but you sense from the writings of the New Testament that the apostles felt that the Lord could return physically to this earth at any moment. Paul made it a part of his new Christian or new discipleship Bible study to the church in Thessalonica. Scholars uh, believe that Paul was at Thessalonica for maybe three to six weeks. And yet he felt it necessary to inform them concerning the events of the last days. And of course, from John's writings, and of course, Revelation, but even before that, the Apostle John made it clear that he believed that the Lord could return at any moment in his time. We here at Calvary believe in a physical return of Jesus Christ to this earth. Now, we do not know the day or the hour. But as Jesus said to his disciples and to the religious leaders at the time, he said this, How is it that you can discern the signs of the weather, but you cannot discern the signs of the times? And so as a result, Paul made it clear, Jesus made it clear, excuse me, that it is possible to see when we are beginning to get close to that return by evaluating the signs that are around us. And those signs are given to us throughout the New Testament. In fact, Paul made it abundantly clear in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that perilous times would come just before the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There are 333 prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus Christ or over 600 concerning his second. And Paul begins to once again remind those who are in the, uh, the, the small church in Thessalonica the things in which he had taught them while he was with them because he wanted them to remember these things because they had been shaken in their hearts and in their minds due to the fact that they believed 
that they had entered into this period of time called the Day of the Lord, the Judgment Day. Actually, the Day of the Lord is a long period of time. It it includes the judgment that God is going to bring about, but also the restoration of all things back to its original creation before being affected by sin, by death, etc. So in chapter 2 of verse 1 of Thessalonians, I'm sorry, of Thessalonians. I have my God voice today. This is what happens when you sleep underneath a fan. You get the God voice. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember then when I was with you, still with you, I told you these things. Paul knew that the only way he could steady their hearts and their minds from the confusion that had been caused by this erroneous letter was to remind them of the truth. The Old Testament is replete with prophecies concerning the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of those prophecies that we must remember is the fact that a seven-year period of time has been designated for the people of Israel and for the entire world. That seven-year period of time is outlined between Revelation chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 19. But where does that seven-year period come from? It comes from one of the most Uh, significant and famous prophecies of the Old Testament, a prophecy that was given to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. It is this that we are going to look at this morning. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel in verses 24 through 27 is given one of the greatest revelations uh, concerning the end times and how it will flow and the events that will take place. But what many don't understand about that passage of Scripture is that that passage of Scripture is an answer to prayer. Daniel petitions God. And as a result, God gives him one of the most incredible uh, prophetic understandings and gives him revelation concerning not only his immediate circumstances, but the circumstances that will take place at the end. But for us to simply look at the answer to the prayer, I believe we would be missing the context of the reason why it was given. And the significance of the reason that it was given. And I believe that there is much for you and I in our current situation to learn from Daniel from the beginning of 
of uh, Daniel 9 to the revelation given in Daniel 9.24. There's a lot to be learned. So this morning I want to consider the prayer that Daniel offered unto God. The study of eschatology is not simply a study of discovering signs and so forth to help us understand where we are on a timeline concerning the uh, eventual return of Jesus Christ. The anticipated return of Jesus Christ had a profound effect upon the apostles who believed that his return was imminent. In fact, John makes it abundantly clear that in the light of the return of Jesus Christ, he purified his heart before the Lord. And this purification is something that should take place in the life of every believer in Jesus Christ. Many people are asking questions about COVID-19 and the riots that we've been seeing here in the United States. They've been trying to place a context around them to help them understand all of these things. And as Christians, we always ask the question, why is God doing these things? Well, the proper question is God allowing these things. Why is God allowing these things to happen? And often we misunderstand because, let's be honest, here in America, we really do have a lack of history, a knowledge of history, don't we, in many regards. You understand that in biblical times and times preceding biblical times, things such as, you know, plagues and famines and wars were so common in their day. But for us, it isn't a common factor. We haven't seen a pandemic like this. We haven't seen governments react to a pandemic like this. And therefore, we ask the question, why is this so significant? Well, just think, in their culture, in the days of Daniel, in the days of Jesus, in the days of the apostles, they did not have the technology to ward off or even to come and to produce a vaccine that one day may be administered. They just had to ride the wave out. They just had to live through it. But see, the Bible says that what happens in the life of the believer is no accident, and that all things are working together for good. That good is our conforming into the image of Jesus Christ. James makes it abundantly clear that when we go through trials, it is for the purpose of building character. Trials have a tendency, troubles and tribulations have the tendencies to draw out from our hearts what's really in there. And I'm seeing it, folks. I'm seeing that happen. People who are you know, not really uh, secure in their relationship with God. Many of them are becoming bitter and anxious and want nothing more to do with God because they feel that God has let them down in some way. It's a complete faulty expectation, but it's one that is real to them. And as a result, you know, why is this happening and why are these things going on and so forth? He's drawing out from their hearts and showing the heart to them and saying, look, these are areas of your heart that you need to get right with me. But for others, he is using it in a manner to continue to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Guys, I can't tell you that in the, in the last three months have been incredible in my personal Christian life. Because of being locked in each and every day, I've spent more time in the Word of God. More time in prayer. 
I've seen God provide not only for my family, but for this church like I've never seen Him provide before. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't left us. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows what He's doing. But let us be honest. We've been quite comfortable here in the United States of America as Christians, haven't we, in many regards. You know, I, I understand that. But it isn't something that is promised to us in Scripture. It isn't something that God says will will never change. It has changed. It's changed immensely for Christians, hasn't it? Some of it we've brought on ourselves due to complacency and apathy in the life of Christians. Because we haven't fought battles in, in the past that we should have fought. And stood up and made our voices known in the process. And as a result of our inactivity and our unwillingness to engage our culture, we've seen the culture just slide further and faster uh, down the hill than like ever before. Let us also be honest that many in America today are really more worried about their quality of life than they are about their spiritual life. They believe that material things are necessary for personal happiness. But for the believer, contentment is what Jesus asks us, instructs us to embrace. Contentment. Let us be honest that these trials that we are experiencing, God is using to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, draw out the things in our hearts that are really there so we can deal with them. So we can repent of those things that we need to repent of and that we can uh, grow in uh, the wake of that repentance or in the, uh, in the presence of seeing God continue His faithfulness towards us. The prayer of Daniel. If you follow with me to Daniel chapter 9, we pick it up in verse 1. And this is the prayer that Daniel offers to God. Daniel has been in Babylon now for almost 65 years, if not a few more, a couple more. Scholars believe that Daniel was taken from his city of Jerusalem, the land of Judea, Judah, and brought into Babylon, Babylon, Babylon when he was 15. Completely removed from home, removed from his parents. Removed from everything that he once knew. And he now found himself in the Babylonian Empire, the epicenter of the Babylonian Empire. And Daniel knew the reason for this. It's because Israel had disobeyed God. And as a result of their disobedience to God and not allowing their land to rest on the periods in which God prescribed for it to rest... God removed them from their land to allow their land that rest that He prescribed from the, from the law of Moses. So Daniel knew that the reason that he was being taken to Babylon was due to the fact that the people of Israel had sinned against God. They were disobedient. They wouldn't listen. They thought they knew what was better. But Daniel was a man of the Word. 
And in the prophet Jeremiah, it states very clearly and predicts this Babylonian captivity, but also tells us and informs us that the Babylonian captivity would be for a certain length of time, 70 years. And that after that 70 years, the children of Israel would be allowed to go back to their land. And to know when that 70 years was coming to a completion, Daniel was given the prophecy in the book of Daniel that the Babylonian Empire would be succeeded by the Medes and the Persians. And as we begin in, begin in Daniel chapter 1, Darius now, the emperor of the Medes, is now reigning in his first year. And as a result of Daniel knowing the word of God, knowing what God had promised, he begins to pray to God because he knows that the 70 years is close to being fulfilled. And he begins to petition God. And he begins to ask God, God, when will it be? When will this judgment cease? And as a result, he lifts to God one of the most incredible prayers of the Old Testament. Daniel's about 81 years old now. And as a result of being 81, he is resting and waiting and hoping and longing for a return to his land. So we begin in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Aserus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the numbers of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation for, of Jerusalem. So as a result, he knew. Daniel knew and was aware that the 70 years was coming to a close. It was coming to a conclusion. And he begins to pray and he begins to ask. Knowing the character and the heart of God, he asks and asks the Lord for further revelation concerning this exodus from the Babylonian Empire. And he knew that God was going to answer him because God is faithful to His Word. Let us be clear about that. God is faithful to His Word. If God says something, if He says He's going to do something, then He's going to do it. This is why we can have such security in an insecure world within the pages of the Word of God. Because the Word of God is, is a direct uh, result of the character of God, and that character in the sense that I speak of it is immovable. It's unchanging. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as a result of that reality, the Word of God is an anchor. It is a source of strength and a foundation for us in our time of need, in our time of trial, tribble, tribble, <laughs> trouble, and tribulation. Just trying to blend those two words for time's sake this morning. And one of the things I continuously encourage Christians is this. 
Don't wait until the trial or the trouble or the tribulation comes and then dive into the Word of God. Be proactive. Be giving yourself time in the Word and in prayer each and every day so you are prepared to enter those particular times. So you're prepared for when those trials and troubles and tribulations come and they try to uh, sweep your legs out from underneath you. You can have the confidence that you're standing on the Word of God and every promise that He has made to you, there's over 3,000 promises that God has made to you, not only is He faithful to fulfill, but He's able to perform. So let us never lose heart in the Word of God. Let us never think, well, I've read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I've done my due diligence. That's it. And if they come out with a second volume, I'll read that too. No, reading the Bible over and over and over again isn't a tedious task. It's one of the greatest privileges that we have as Christians. Old and New Testament alike. Daniel had complete faith in God. He had complete faith in God's Word. He knew God would be faithful to release them when He says He's going to release them. So he begins to pray in verse 3. Notice this with me. Then I, Daniel, set my face towards the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplication, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and mercy with those who love Him and with those who keep His commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity We have done wickedly and rebelled, even departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and to our princes and to our fathers and all the people of the land. God, we've blown it. We've sinned against you. Your word was clear to us. And before the Babylonian exile, God sent prophets to them and saying, you need to repent and get right with God. God pleaded with them. God said, when have I ever failed you? How have I, never sh- how have I not shown my love to you? When was I not faithful to you? And God began to plead and to ask, come back to me and I will heal your land. I will restore it. I will restore you. But notice that Daniel places himself in the center of it all. He doesn't say them. He says we have sinned God. Seeing him as part of the problem. Realizing that Daniel himself is part of this people. And as a result... He stood in the gap and repented on behalf of the people. The book of Ezekiel says that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro to see if someone will stand in the gap on behalf of his people. You know, one of the things that I have seen as I've gone through this trial in the last three months and my life has been turned upside down in many ways, God has shown me things that I needed to repent of that I was wrong in, in my, in my mind and in my heart. 
requiring me to think things again. In some areas, I didn't feel that I had been as grateful as I needed to be for the freedoms that we have and enjoyed for so many years. We start taking them for granted until, of course, they're taken away. You know, God sometimes has to use things like this to get our attention, to shake us up a little bit, to bring us back to Him. I wish I could say that, yes, all that the Lord has to do is bless us and we'll be perfect all the entire time. Yeah, it doesn't work that way, does it? My job as a parent with my daughter is not only to affirm her when she does well and encourage her when she does something well, but to also correct her when she does something wrong. That's my job as a parent. Our kids, they don't need more friends. They need parents that are going to come alongside of them. And, you know, I've learned that God often interacts with us in the same way. He calls Himself our Abba Father. And He chastens those in whom He loves because He loves us too much to leave us the way He found us. So Daniel knew. You've given us every chance and we didn't heed it. We had your word. We had your judgments. We had your prophets who came to us. They came to the kings, the princes, the fathers, and all the people. We were all accountable to you, God. But as a result, they didn't heed what they were accountable for. And Daniel begins to cry out. In verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongs to You, but to us shame of face, as it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those near and those afar off, in all the countries to which You have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against You. O Lord, To us belongs shame of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Daniel knew that the only way that the nation of Israel was going to be restored was through God. They were his people. They were not perfect people. In fact, they were constantly provoking him into judgment. As he held them accountable to the covenant in which he made with them through Moses, saying to the nation of Israel, if you do these things, I will bless you in these ways. Deuteronomy 28. But if you do these things, then you shall have punishment brought upon you And these are the punishments that you can expect. And these are the punishments that they are now living out. Deuteronomy 29. And Daniel knew that God would be faithful to His Word because God loved His people, loves His people. And He's not going to allow His people to continue in disobedience for any great length of time or to the detriment of themselves. He will intervene on those lives that are His. And as a result, Daniel now realizes 
that they have been brought to this part because they have sinned against God. You know, I find it more and more common that many Christians are very quick to find the sins in others' lives, but very slow to realize them in their own. We have a tendency to be very uh, compassionate to ourselves, but very hard on others. In fact, when we see our sins on another person or within another person's life, we often have a tendency to be very critical of that person. Oh my goodness, how could they ever consider themselves to be a Christian and live like that when we, in our hearts, know that we struggle with the exact same sin? You see, it's this kind of dishonesty with ourselves that God has to penetrate. This is the kind of uh, heart that He needs to break, that we would repent before Him and bring these things out of the closet. You know, when I was a little kid and my parents asked me to clean my bedroom, my idea of clean and their idea of clean was two different things. Mine was out of sight, out of mind. Theirs was everything put back in its proper place. So I would begin to clean my room on a Saturday morning but because I wouldn't be allowed to go out with my friends until I did. And then, of course, 15 minutes later, I'd come running into the kitchen saying, I'm ready to go, my room is clean. My mom would say, what are you talking about? I mean, that thing needed, you know, we were going to have to get dumpsters and trucks in here to clean it. I mean, and now you tell me you did it in 15 minutes? We were going to get, have to get people in hazmat suits to come in there and to, uh, you know, clean it up properly. And you've done it in 15 minutes? Well, of course I did. Because all I did was take everything that shouldn't be where it was, and instead of putting it back in its right place, I just shoved it under the bed. I just shoved it in the closet, and then I put my chair in front of the closet door because it wouldn't stay closed. And of course, my mom knew exactly where to look. It's a gift that God gave her. And so often before God, we are the same way with the sin in our lives. We justify it year after year. We, we play with it. We don't get rid of it. We don't repent of it. We put it in the closet. We put it under the bed. And God knows exactly where to look. In our hearts. In our minds. But Daniel realized that it was only God who was going to be able to restore the land, bring his people back to the land, and restore the city of Jerusalem. For in verse 10, he says, notice this, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before us by his servants and by his prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed, meaning we've willfully sinned against God. And notice he says, we've transgressed your law and, have, and has departed so and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse of the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. Over and over, we have sinned against him. We have sinned against him. If we are going to study biblical eschatology, the study of the last days, if we are to frame things in their proper context, through Scripture. 
Let us begin that before the, God proceeds with judgment in the world, he starts with judgment in his own house, first and foremost. And he begins to clean house, doesn't he? He begins to reveal the sins of those who should uh, be walking in a certain purity and a holiness before him. The Chicagoland area in the last two years have been devastated by the number of moral failures from some of the largest churches in our areas, the moral failures of the pastors. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 8, Ezekiel is given a vision. He's given the insight into the hearts and the minds of the priests of the temple at that time. And in the hearts and the minds of the priests of the temple of that time, there were all kinds of wicked things in the hearts and in the minds of the priests. And God says, these things should not be. When we read the Scriptures and the Scriptures uh, come to us and they're starting to instruct us or correct us or reprove us or maybe even rebuke us, we should be sensitive enough to receive that and to ask the Lord to forgive us for what we have done and to repent of that sin. Not immediately look to place it on someone else or think that it doesn't apply to us. The grace of God is one of the most incredible and awesome aspects of His character. But He's also holy. Mercy is incredible, but He's also just. Love is unspeakable. I I can't even fathom the love that God has for us. But God is still righteous. And we must not exclude certain characteristics in the wakes of other characteristics. We need to walk humbly before our Lord. We need to be, as Peter said, be holy, for God is holy. Now this isn't something that we bring about in ourselves. It is something that Christ and the Spirit through the Word of God does within us. But we must be sensitive. We have to get out of the, uh, of the chair of apathy and complacency and justification. And we need to look objectively upon ourselves and say, I'm wrong before God. I need to repent of these things. And it isn't because your salvation hangs in the balance. No, it's because you're saved that you consider these things. It's because of the new life Jesus Christ has given you that you consider these things. It's because of the fact of the love and the grace and the mercy that He's given us that we consider these things. We don't want to live our new life like we lived our past life that God has reckoned dead. Verse 12, and He has confirmed His words which He spoke against us and against our judges who judged by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. Even the judges were corrupt and did not heed God's warning. And in verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, the word of God at that time, All this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. You know, sin in the life of the believer will paralyze the believer. 
And we need to understand that when we feel dry in our relationship and walk with the Lord, in our times of uh, intimacy with the Lord through His Word and through prayer, it's often that God is reminding us that there may be unrepented sin in our life that we need to deal with. Making something right that we have done wrong. Bringing it to the surface. Sin is still serious in the eyes of God in the life of the Christian. Again, the number of times that the New Testament encourages us and commands us to walk before our God uprightly. He knew this. Daniel knew this. That we might turn from our iniquity, and notice this, and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works in which He does, though we have not obeyed His voice. And now, O Lord God, who brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made Yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly, O Lord, according to all Your righteousness, I pray, let Your anger, Your fury be turned away from Your city Jerusalem, Your holy mountain, because of our sin and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and Your people are a reproach to all of those around us. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of Your servant and His supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. I love the fact that Daniel completely appeals to the nature and the character of God. He's not saying, Lord, see, we've learned our lesson. You know, every time I got grounded, and it was quite often as a child, my dad would say I'd be grounded for a week and by Day two, I was already trying to negotiate, you know, uh, you know, uh, what do they call that where you get out uh, early, you know, parole, time served and good behavior, you know. And yet my dad would always say, nope, I said seven days, I meant seven days. Now maybe I should have said to him, dad, you're such a great guy. <laughs> you are so good looking. Do you know how good looking you are, dad? No, Daniel's not buttering him up. Daniel's not just appeasing an ego of God. He's appealing to the character of God in the context of his word. Lord, you said 70 years. Lord, we appeal to you. We appeal to your righteousness. We appeal to your mercy, your steadfast love. Father, we appear to the covenant that you've made with us. We appeal to you. We have sinned against you and we have caused the people around us to blaspheme your name. We have done that. We've brought this reproach upon you, Lord. You didn't do this. We've done this. And Daniel appeals to him. And notice what he says in verse 17. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and your hear and hear. 
open your eyes and see our desolation and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you of our righteous deeds, but because you are great in mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, and for your city. For your people are called by your name. This is one of the most incredible prayers of repentance found in the New Testament. I'm sorry, in the Old Testament. And today in this time of crisis, I believe that you and I need to get before God and have a moment of, you know, maybe what we call a come to Jesus moment, you know, with God. And ask Him, Lord, search my heart as Daniel, um, David did. And see if there be any wicked way within me. You know, it's getting so hard to watch the news in the United States of America. We don't know what to believe anymore. You can go to five different news channels. You get five different opinions on the same subject. But after a while, you also start becoming down and depressed, saying, Oh, Lord. What is going on here? Somebody forwarded me, one of my friends forwarded me, a video that was about 20 minutes long of various people freaking out in public, calling the Karens of the public. And these were just irrational people going off berserk for no real reason whatsoever. And I said to myself, Lord, it's like not only do you see everything that happens in the news that's told to us, But you see everything that isn't on YouTube, and there's a lot on YouTube. And yet you're patient with us. You're long-suffering with us. You continue to show your goodness to us. Oh, Lord, why? And the Bible tells us why. Because He wishes all to come to repentance. He desires none to perish. He wants us to come and to see and to taste and know that the Lord is good. But this change in our country that we're looking for, let us understand, it's not going to come through politics. Not the ultimate change. And we know that everything won't go back to the way it needs to go back until the Lord returns. But in the interim, you and I can stand in the gap on behalf of our nation, on behalf of the people in whom we love, and begin to ask the Lord, Lord, clean us out, Father. Use us for your glory. Let us be ambassadors into this world. Let, us, let people see the love and the light of Jesus Christ in us. Lord, we know that we have failed in many, many ways. But give us your grace, Lord. Give us your mercy. Because you are merciful. You are graceful. And we know, Lord, that you desire individuals to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. None of the understanding of the following answer to this prayer would truly be appreciated unless we first understood the prayer in which Daniel gave prior. You and I need to understand that we live in a very, very unique period of time here in the United States of America specifically. It's time for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ to grow as close to the Lord as ever, 
Surrender all to Him. Give Him everything of our lives. Confess our sins before Him. Get right to allow Him to stabilize and steady us. Now, understand this. That God's not throwing you off. He's not casting you aside. But He wants that close, personal, intimate relationship with you. And sin will hinder that. Now, we all sin every day, don't we? We're flawed people. We're works in progress. But some have been struggling with sins for years that they haven't brought out to the Lord. Some have allowed their lives to be a dual purpose for the world and for the Lord. The circumstances of this world are not going to allow for that any longer. Either you're going to have to stand with Him or against Him. and We see that, right? Back in the 80s when I got saved, everybody talked about the Christians who walked the fence. That fence doesn't exist anymore. Because the world is making it abundantly clear that those who are for the Lord are contrary to those who want to see the progression of our world in the form and in the manner in which they feel that it should progress. You and I are in a moment like Daniel where we need to take stock, we need to repent, we need to get right with God, we need to bring these things out and say, Lord, forgive us. We need to spend time in God's Word each and every day and in prayer. And we need to allow the Lord to prepare our hearts for whatever comes next, right? For whatever comes next. I encourage you to read chapter 9 again when you have time. And then read into the revelation in which Paul, I'm sorry, Daniel is given by God. And next week we'll look at how specific the answer is. Now, did you know that, of course, we cannot predict the day or the hour of the second coming of Jesus Christ? But was it possible that those who saw His first coming should have known the day of His visitation? Yeah, Jesus said that. Why did He say that? Because I think this prophecy gave them the answer to that if they would have been looking at it properly.